Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry. Stop it! Stop it! Yes. S T O P. New word. I.T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds, sounds frightening. Yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good girl. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! <laughs> You, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> don't be such a big baby. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! <laughs> how, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! <sighs> what's, what's the problem, Kathy? You're just telling me to stop it. And and you and you don't you don't like that. No, I don't. So you think we're we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me uh, let me uh, give you 10 words that I I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Ready? Mm -hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! All right, all right, all right, 
happy Mother's Day, everybody, on that note. All right. <laughs> All right, we're going to be talking about the antidote to anxiousness today. Uh, before we do that, I do want to say happy Mother's Day. I know we've already talked about that. Happy Mother's Day. I understand as we go throughout the day and we celebrate this day, uh, and many of us are celebrating this day, that I also understand that, that for many of us today is not just a celebration. Sometimes there's some pain involved. Maybe we've lost a loved one, or maybe uh, many people maybe tried to, to become a parent and maybe have struggled in that area. And so I understand there's some pain involved in that as well. And so I want to take just a moment, and I want to pray that God would bring us, uh, those of us who are feeling that, God would bring us comfort in that moment. Can we do that for just a second. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the ultimate comforter. And Lord, I know that there are some people here who maybe this is a day of celebration. It also has a, kind of some memories attached to it. Lord, I pray that the God of peace would guard hearts and minds today. Lord, that you bring healing and comfort. Lord, we do celebrate this day. We also acknowledge that you are the ultimate healer, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to be talking about the antidote to anxiousness today. And as we look at that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul begins to talk about it. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And I kind of look at this as kind of like Paul's, if I was to translate that today, it, I kind of feel like when I read that, it's like, stop it. That's what I feel like Paul's saying when he says that. And I know it's not as simple as that. And so I don't want to make this, uh, you know, take light of this. I know there are very serious situations where people battle different things like this. And so I acknowledge that. Uh, but what I want to do today is I want to speak generally to most of us today. And I want to talk about uh, this idea of anxiousness and how many of us feel like we battle this or worry or whatever want to call it. And so let's deal with it from a biblical perspective. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would anybody like to experience the peace of God just to wash over you? Would anybody like to experience that peace? Just because it's out, I mean, sometimes we, we think about it and we'd love to, but we just think it's so far away. And so I want to talk about some reasons why we get anxious and maybe worry in our life, and then how maybe we, God's revealed some things about how we can uh, put, apply the word and deal with that. Uh, some reasons we get anxious, the first thing that came to me is that many times we get anxious about the things that we have. How many of you guys, you get anxious about stuff that you have? I mean, sometimes we have these things in our life. We have, ki- how many of you guys have kids? You get anxious about your kids. How many of you guys have, uh, you know, a house that kind of, you know, maybe you're dealing with things that keep breaking down. We get anxious about the things that we have. I thought about a, a story I heard a long time ago from James Dobson. Back when he had young kids at home, some of you guys who have young kids at home, you'll understand this. Uh, he had young kids at home, and he really felt impressed by God that he was to spend more time with these young kids. And so he's walking through, and he saw this, this beautiful swing set, this huge swing set, and he thought, man, I'll buy that swing set, and I'll put it in our backyard, and then we'll just, I'll just be spending all this time out there with the kids playing in the swing set and playing in the yard, and that will be an awesome thing. And so he ordered the exact model that he saw, and he said, but what came to me, however, was it came in, in, in a couple big boxes, and here's how he described it. He says, what came was a box containing roughly 6,324 pipes. 28,487,000 bolts and 28 million screws and a set of instructions that would have, have uh, confused Albert Einstein. <laughs> and he spent the next two days carefully putting it all together. And at the end stood this shaky structure that he had constructed. And then to his horror, he reads the last line of the instructions, which said, please tighten, retighten all the bolts on this apparatus every two weeks to ensure safety and durability. 
And so now he was going to have to spend every second Saturday of his life out there securing all these bolts so the swing set doesn't kill his kids. How many of you guys know that sometimes what we own sometimes quickly owns us, right? The more stuff you have, the more stuff we have to worry about. It seems like the more we accumulate, the more our worries can also accumulate. You realize it's the same in relationships. The more relationships we accumulate, the more we have to be anxious about. The more material possessions we accumulate, the more we have to worry and stress about. Is this going to break? Do I need to replace this? Is this going to be more money? And we, we get anxious about the things that we have. Another reason we get anxious is we get anxious about the things we don't have. How many of you guys have ever been anxious about something you don't have? Maybe you have a bill that needs paid, but you don't have the money to pay the bill and so we get anxious about something that we don't have. Have you guys have ever been anxious about, maybe uh, the Bible talks about being anxious about tomorrow. Even though tomorrow's not here yet, we don't have tomorrow. But how many of you guys have been anxious about tomorrow? Man, me more times, I, almost every day probably, I get anxious about tomorrow in some way, shape, or form. And so we get anxious about the things that we don't have, about the future. And, and here's what I've seen. Uh, some people get addicted to worry. Have you ever found somebody who gets addicted to worry? I'm not talking about like, like some real situation they have, but just a worrier in general. And if they don't have something in their life to worry about, they'll start to find something in someone else's life to worry about. How many of you guys, have, how many of you guys are married to that person? Don't do, don't, okay. Just testing you there. Senior discernment. Uh, some of you guys have it. Most of you guys do. That's good. So we get anxious about things we have. We get anxious about things we don't have. Here's another reason we get anxious. We get anxious about things that other people have. And this is where we fall into the comparison trap in our life. When we start looking at what somebody else has and we get anxious about it. We start saying, but why don't I have that? Why don't, you know, uh, why don't I have what they have? Why don't I have what, you know, why can't I get what they get? You know, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says this. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Isn't that a great refrigerator verse right there? I mean, just rotting bones. Envy is like, it makes your bones rot on the inside. The Vines Expository Dictionary translates the Greek word envy as the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. Have you guys just, I don't even have to ask because it's everybody. When we've, saw someone else, we've seen someone else succeed or have an advantage or get an opportunity that we would have liked or accumulate something we would have liked, how many of you guys have ever found yourself envious of that before? The Bible says what happens is you start to rot from the inside because of envy. And we, we've all been there. We get anxious about things that other people have. Envy and jealousy create anxiety or anxiousness. And it's this fear of either losing what we have to someone else or resenting someone else's success. I'll just be straight up honest. I do that more often than I want to I want to admit. Where I'll see somebody else succeed or I'll see something else go right and there's something on the inside of me that that just envies that and and wants to have that. Now there's nothing wrong with ambition and trying to go for things, but there's something wrong when it turns into that. Okay? When I start to get anxious about what other people other people have. Here's the truth from God's word. You cannot be anxious and experience God's peace simultaneously. You can't be anxious and have the peace of God from God at the same time. Now, what I didn't say is, some people think, well, 
The peace of God is freedom from trouble. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that the peace of God is freedom from trouble. The Bible says that there can be peace in the trouble. And so, so you can't be anxious and be at peace at the same time. And so I want to talk to you real quick about uh, three things that God has been showing me. And I want to give you the, what I believe is the antidote to anxiety from what I see in Scripture here. I know it's going to sound simplistic, but I can tell you God has been working this over on me. And it's kind of a revelation I've had lately, and I hope that it brings some revelation to you as well. I believe the antidote to anxiousness is the attitude of gratitude. Now, that didn't, I didn't sell you on it there, so I'm going to have to do some work, okay? How many of you guys have ever heard this before? The com- that comparison is the thief of joy. Whenever you get into comparison, when you start to compare sins <laughs> or get into comparison, it, it, it takes away our joy. And the very thing that God wants to deposit in us gets removed when we start comparison, comparing to others. How many of you guys would also agree with this? That sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes when you get so familiar with something, all of a sudden you disdain it after a while or it becomes not important to you after a while. I, I've shared this before, but back years and years ago, early on in my marriage, I bought Without telling my wife, without planning, I I just came and I bought a brand new Mustang and I showed up and said, look, honey, how you guys know that was not on the list of good things to do, right? I showed up, man, this thing was loaded. This thing was awesome. I mean, it was great. How many of you guys would just love to do that at some point in your life? Throw caution to the wind. I did it, man. I lived it. And so I pull up with this thing. Now, loaded down, brand new, spick and span. I mean, everything perfect. I mean, just awesome. How many of you guys know that the, the moment I crossed the line from driving it off the car lot, that it went down in value dramatically? How many of you guys know that that's true? Instantly, it did what? It depreciated, didn't it? As soon as I drove it, as soon as the car length passed over the line, it lost value, didn't it? Dramatic value. What's the point of it? Here, here's the thing. Did the car change at all? Not a thing changed about the car, but its value dramatically went down. Again, I drove it over the line. Not a thing changed about the car, but its value went down. What changed? The only thing that changed is the way people looked at the car. All of a sudden, the thing that changed, nothing about the car changed, but the way people saw the car caused its value to to spiral. And that's something we call depreciation. How many of you guys know that if something appreciates, it gains in value? And here's what I'm suggesting today. That many times God has blessed us with things, and in our minds we drive it off the lot, and nothing has changed about the thing. But the way we start to see the thing causes it to lose value in our life. And God has provided us with so many things that we drive off the lot and no longer has value. It depreciates in value. How many of you guys have had kids where they want Christmas gifts? Man, they are zeroed in on this particular Christmas gift. You know, it's a Tickle Me Elmo. That, back in the day when I had one of those kids. How many of you guys know there's like fights going on in stores for all these you know, particular toys? And so you're determined, I'm going to be a bad parent if I don't get my kids about the same amount that other parents get. How many of you guys fall into that trap before? You go out, you go broke because you're trying to please your kids and try to keep up with the Joneses and you get your kid the special toy and then what happens the next day? I'm bored. Have you guys ever experienced that one? Nothing changed about the toy but the way they looked at the toy changed and all of a sudden it had no value in their life. Appreciation equals 
value. When we lose our appreciation for what God has done or already given to us, we're acting more childish than mature. When we lose our appreciation, when we start to see what God has already done, we lose, uh, we start acting more childish than mature. How many of you guys know that God does not change, right? But how many times does our appreciation of God change? And so then God's value in our life depreciates. God does not change. His value depreciates. Somehow we've test drove something and drove it off the lot, and it no longer has the same value. I believe that, that uh, ad, the attitude of gratitude is the antidote to anxiousness, that thanksgiving is the antidote to worry and comparison. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, let's read it again. Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything, in prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of you guys know that you can pray and still be anxious? How many of you guys have done that before? I've done it. That's why I think Paul says pray, but if all you do is pray, you still might be anxious. But if you add in with thanksgiving, all of a sudden anxiousness can drop away. You could pray and still be anxious, but if you add thanksgiving with your prayer, all of a sudden anxiousness has to fall away, and I'll I'll show you why. Thanksgiving is the antidote to worry. Now, let me tell you where all this came from. A few weeks ago, I'm just being real honest with you, all right? A few weeks ago, I was was just battling some things, and it's almost like God was saying, like to Martha in Scripture, Sean, you're anxious about many things. I didn't even realize what I was all anxious about. And I'm sure I was anxious about some of the things I had, some of the things I didn't have, and, I, and some of the things that other people have. Because I struggle with that, okay? I struggle with, if, if I see someone else's ministry going really well, and I start to struggle with that comparison, saying, well, why isn't our ministry going as well? Or if I see somebody else get something else, I'm like, well, why can't I have it? Why, why don't I, you know, why am I not at this certain spot and have this much in the bank and have this much in retirement and all these things? How many of you guys would just be honest for just a second? Man, all right, if no one else will, then I will, all right? I struggled with that, and I was struggling. I didn't even know all of what I was struggling. And I just, you know, I kind of got frustrated, and I was just out there struggling with just trying to work through this anxiousness. I wouldn't have put that name on it, but what I was really doing is I was caught up in worry and stress and comparison, which produced anxiousness in my heart. And I was out there, and I walked out on my deck, and God really arrested me, and he said, listen, you are fighting all these things. You are wrestling all these things. You're anxious about many things, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment and shut out everything else in your life, but only those things that you can be thankful about. And in that moment, and and I had to narrow it way down (laughs) because my mind thought that there wasn't much, but then as I started to narrow it down, all of a sudden it started to grow really big. And I sat there for about an hour and a half, and I just stared off in the distance, and I prayed before God, and I started to just let thankfulness and gratitude for everything, even the little things, the big things. And I, just, I became overwhelmed with the goodness of God in my life. And all of a sudden, since I, I was relentless about it, I would not let anything into my thought that I couldn't be thankful for. All of a sudden, I had no anxiety. I had nothing to be anxious about because the only things in my, in my view were the things that I could just let grow in appreciation. And those things started to grow in appreciation. And as I started to think about all that God has done for me, all of a sudden my appreciation of God skyrocketed, it shot up. And all of a sudden God became bigger and, I, and God became much more of a value to me. And, and I can tell you, for the last several weeks, God has just been stirring that in my heart. And every time I run into a situation, God says, let thankfulness grow in your heart. I've done so much for you. And, and, and the 
that's what I've really been wrestling with. And I know that, that sometimes we say, and even last, uh, last couple weeks I've said that God is a God of abundance. Yes, we should be after, I mean, God is a God of abundance. And we talked about more blessed last fall. We might be talking about the blessed life in the summer. I'm working on some special things for the summer. Yes, we ought to be going for more uh, and, and using our faith. But let's just be real about this. How many of you guys know that many times we can, instead of becoming partakers of God's blessings, we can become chasers of blessings? And there's a big difference. I believe the Bible says that God's blessings chase me down. I believe God is a loving father where he's coming after me with blessings. But whenever I turn God into a gumball machine and I start to chase God for his blessings, I think something gets off in my heart. And I'll just be real honest that that's what I fall into the trap more often to that than I want to admit. And what it produces in me, the fruit of that thought, is anxiousness. And I found myself in anxiousness over that. How many of you guys have ever been at the grass is greener mentality over and over? Man, I find, my, I'll just be real, okay? I can tell that maybe some of you guys this isn't a break, breaking into. Let me just be real. I find myself all the time in the grass is greener mentality. Some of that, I, like I said, is a good thing. It's ambition. That's good. You know, we need to be going for more things. But whenever I start to look and say, man, if only I had a better house, then I would be happy. If only I had a better car, then I'd be happy. If only I had a better financial situation, then I'd be happy. If only I had this or that. How many of you guys know, if only I had a better house or better car or better spouse or better job, or if I could just make $50 more a month, then I could be happy. Would, has anybody ever been there before? Man, I'm there. I'm there. More times I want to admit. If only then, then I could be happy. But how many of you guys have been in a place where you said, if only then, and you got there and you weren't happy anymore? It's false. You know, we are the place where we have got the most opportunity, I believe, anywhere on the planet. Uh, a 2012 Gallup poll uh, said this, that they ranked the United States 33rd in the world on a happiness scale. I don't know what measures they used, but they, they found that we were ranked 33rd. We can have at our disposal, I don't care if you were broke, you got no money in the bank, you are still at an advantage that no one else has on the planet. You just are. And yet we are ranked 33rd in the world in the happiness scale? It just proves that more does not make you happy. We're just like the kid at Christmas. That whenever we get what we think is going to make us happy, the next day we're saying, I'm bored. Aren't we? Man. And so, so God started to show me that that just produces anxiousness in me. And the more stuff I accumulate, and again, these things aren't bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't. What I'm saying is that when our heart is not right, if we don't get rooted in the heart of thankfulness first, then whatever comes next will always be a moving target. And if we get rooted in thankfulness, we may find it might affect our decisions in ways we never expected it to. And so as I started to think about this, I was rereading a book uh, by Pastor Bill Hybels, and I was reading this book, and he was uh, talking about how God provides for us. How many of you guys believe God is a provider? How many of you guys have noticed that different times in your life, different provision levels from God? Some points, maybe you have more provision, sometimes less, but still God is a provider. He's always met my needs and more. God is a provider. But sometimes it's not always the same number. And so I've recognized there are different levels of God's provision and different times and seasons in my life. He said this, it arrested me, it stopped me, it's changing my perspective, it's, cha it's really changing my life. And here's the statement, all right? I'm not trying to overhype it, but if you get a hold of this, it'll change you. Here's what he said. 
You will only know true financial peace when you learn to live joyfully beneath God's provision in every season of your life. Let me say that again. Some of you guys might want to write that down. You will only know true financial peace when you learn to live joyfully beneath God's provision in every season of your life. I'll just be honest again that many times I'll recognize God's provision level in my life. And we live in this tension of going for more and contentment. And more often than not, here's what I do. I find myself living, seeing my joy on the other side of God's provision. Instead of just under God's provision. It's still God providing, but I've found myself more often than not, not living beneath God's love provision, but here's what we do in the United States. We'll mac, we'll, here's what we'll do. We'll go into debt to try to get joy that God never intended for us to have. Because we say, God, your provision is not enough. I'm going to go into debt. Boy, I'm preaching stronger this service than I did first service. You guys need it or something. I don't know. I'll back it off a little bit. It's Mother's Day, all right? I've been... All right, so we, we've got to do, I'm preaching to myself today, okay? Can I just say that? All right, so, so we've, got to, we've got to understand that, you know, God provides. God taught me this one time. I've shared this before. God taught me this one time. Uh, we've lived in, rent, in rental houses before, and I, at the time I was li- lived in a rental house, moved out of it. I had four kids moving out of a rental house into a house we bought. And how many of you guys know when you have four kids, you do not expect to get your deposit back? <laughs> you just don't. So I moved out, wrote it off. All of a sudden, to my shock, I got in the mail. I opened up this, this, this letter, and it was like 80-something percent of my deposit. It was like 700-and-something dollars back for my deposit. And I was shocked. I was celebrating. I was dancing in the street. I mean, I was just like, 700, unexpected. Look at this, miracle of God. God, you know, this whole big thing. What are we going to do with this? I'm celebrating it. I'm waving in the air. I'm just so excited. I, I kid you not. I set that piece of mail down. I grabbed the very next letter. I opened the letter, and it is an unexpected bill for nearly the same amount. <laughs> I am kidding you not. That's exactly what happened. And right in that moment, God said, I got you. I got your back. I provided for you just before you needed it. I've got you. Here's what most of us do. God provides us something, we squander it, we get when we need something, and we got nothing. And we say, God, where's your provision? God provided it, but God showed me in an instant. He he didn't even give me time to spend it, okay? He said, I want you to see that there are many times when I provide in advance of what you need. You just need to live joyfully beneath the level of provision I'm giving you right now. Whoo, so powerful, isn't it? And so there, here's what I know, that, that uh, we dishonor God by not appreciating what he's already given us. Can I say it any stronger? We dishonor God when we do not appreciate with thanksgiving what he's already given us. And provision may go up and down in different seasons, and it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to live joyfully beneath it. Did you hear me? Our, God's provision may go up and down for different purposes, and it's our responsibility to live, not just beneath it, to live joyfully beneath it. 
to celebrate God, to celebrate what he's given us, to, give, to have a heart of thanksgiving. If we do not do this, guess what happens? Anxiousness rushes in. I guarantee you, if you shut it all out, listen, I've been living this the last several weeks. If you shut it all out, the peace of God comes rushing in and guards my heart and mind. It surpasses even my understanding. But it only comes through a heart of thanksgiving. I know it sounds super simplistic. People are like, oh, you're the thanksgiving. It's the word of God. And as we apply the word of God, we'll find that God is true. He's not a liar. I love this uh, old rabbinic saying. I, I love it. I heard it a long time ago, read it in a book, and it says this. God will one day hold us each accountable for all the things he created for us to enjoy, but we refuse to do so. Let me say that again. God will one day hold us accountable for all the things he created for us to enjoy, and yet we refuse to do so. You see, most of the time we think God's holding us accountable for things we do wrong. I just love this idea that that God has placed many things for us to enjoy, and yet we are refusing to enjoy what God has put in front of us. And God's going to say, why? And most of the things that God has created for us to enjoy are already in front of us. I know he's already paid for them on the cross, but I'm even saying in our current lives right now, our current situations, most of them are already at the table for us to enjoy. Aaron and I were talking this week, and we were talking about... uh, our kids, and we've, you know, uh, when I was a kid, my mom, it'd be 100 degrees, and she would lock us outside. How many of you guys were that way? You ever got locked outside for hours? I mean, we had access to a hose, but that was it, right? 100 degrees outside in the summer. She just had enough, I guess. There were five of us boys in the house. She said, get outside, and she would literally lock the door. We were just out there, and so I spent most of my childhood outside. How many of you guys spend most of your childhood outside? And now my, gen- my kids' generation is growing up, what, with video games and se- texts and cell phones, and, and you walk around and, and you see a, a group of teenagers and they all are like this, right? And guess what? It's bleeding over to us adults, too. We better watch it, right? And so it's always just looking down and, and staying inside. And so Aaron and I were talking this week, and we were kind of lamenting the fact that sometimes our kids would rather be inside playing stuff or watching stuff or doing stuff instead of outside. Outside at my house, man, I've got a swings, and I built, I built my daughter this big old clubhouse fort thing with this slide that's dangerous. It's awesome. And, I mean, just the, everything, you know. They can go outside and play, play kickball. they got a couple dogs. They could butcher chickens. They could do all sorts of stuff outside at my house. It's awesome. And, uh, and so all these things. And so we we're just talking about that and how our kids sometimes would rather be indoors. And we just like to lock them outdoors sometimes. But their desire, they don't want to go outdoors. They just want to sit there and look at a screen. And so as we were talking about that, Aaron was saying, you know, rather than, you know, they say they want a new phone, or they want a new game, they want a new whatever. Instead of buying these new things to make them happy, what if we could change their desire to want to go outside? Not to, not to buy them all these new things or not to supply new things outside, but if just their desire. How many of you guys know then they would want to go outside and enjoy what's already there? We don't have to buy anything else. I'm contending for today that for many of us, that's the case that God's looking at us as his kids and he's saying, listen, if I could just change your desire to enjoy what's already been given, your anxiety and your desire for more and to live above would dissipate and you'd be able to enjoy what I've already provided for you. And as we do that and we, off, and we walk in thanksgiving, I believe that, God's, that, that the anxiety would go away and the peace of God would just rush in. Now, that was just point number one, so I better get on this, okay? Uh, point number two, we have to practice the attitude of gratitude. 
You see, some of us, we think, well, I'm not very good at being thankful, so that just stinks. I guess I'm just not good at it. It's not my spiritual gift, so I guess I'm not good at it, and I just won't do it. Listen, my spirit, it's not my gift either, okay? I stink at being thankful, okay? Can I just be real? And so God said, that's okay, Sean. You don't have to be good at it. I want you to practice it, though. And if you start practicing it, you're going to mess up, and you're not going to be good at it. But guess what? You're going to keep practicing it. And so that's what I've been doing the last several weeks. I've been practicing being thankful. Whenever I find myself anxious, I practice being thankful. And here's what I found, that I'm going to practice being thankful for the rest of my life. And you know what? There's really no game to being thankful. It's all practice. My whole life is practice. That's what living by faith is. It's practice, the whole thing. And so many of us are so afraid to fail or we just quit. But practice is faith. And so as we practice, we've got to practice the attitude of gratitude. The next uh, scripture in verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any, th- any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, there's that word, practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, you're going to have to train. This doesn't always come natural. You're going to have to intentionally, with the power of the Holy Spirit, start to think about those things that are good. You're going to have to intentionally meditate. That word meditate, it's not, it's not the same as the Eastern religion, meditate, I'm trying to empty my mind. It's really, meditating scripturally is about filling your mind with God thoughts. And meditating, on, thinking about these things. That word think really means to calculate. Okay? It really means to consider your life as if you were doing it. So you think about your life in a way as if it were good or excellent or worthy of praise. You begin to put yourself in the story, in other words. Meditate on these things. It literally, another commentary literally means to practice. John 14, 27, says, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The question is not if Jesus gives us peace. The question is, are we practicing the peace that Jesus gave? Because we have to practice it. Philippians 4, verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The word rejoice literally means re-joy. To joy again. To repeat joy. It means you've got a joy, and then joy, and joy. It's repeating joy. And so Paul says, I want you to re-joy. And again, if you didn't hear the first word, I'll say it again. Re-joy. How many of you guys know whenever the Bible says something like that, it really wants to get something across? You've got to re-joy and, again, re-joy. It's saying that you've got to do this over and over again, creating, proactively repeating joy, practicing joy, creating an ecosystem on the inside of you of joy. Now, I've, uh, speaking of chickens, uh, I put some of them on my smoker. I've got this uh, picture. This is what I had the other day. Didn't that look so good? Oh, man, it was good. Uh, so I put these chickens on my smoker. Uh, take the picture down because they won't focus on the next few words i got to say. Uh, but here's the thing. I've got a smoker, and I, I'm kind of honing it in. I'm getting better at smoking some things. So I try to keep it, you know, 220, 240 when I'm smoking some different things. And, and I'm learning how to keep the, the smoke or the fire just right. But don't you know that if I fueled up my smoker, and I walked away, what's going to happen to the temperature eventually inside the smoker? Eventually, the temperature inside the smoker is going to be the same temperature outside in the air, right? Why? Because the air has a climate 
and an ecosystem, but my smoker does not have a climate or an ecosystem. So eventually the, the temperature in the smoker will become the temperature of the outside, right? Let me give you another example. There's a difference between my smoker and my oven in my house. I could turn my oven on and I could set it to a particular temperature and I could leave it as long as I have electricity, I could leave it indefinitely, right? And it would always be that temperature forever. My smoker, I fire it up to a certain temperature, I walk away, it's going to go back down to the same degrees. Why? My oven has a thermostat. Now, I also have a broken hot tub at my house. I picked it up for free. I brought it to my house, and I decided I'm going to fix this thing. Well, that was months ago, and it's still sitting there not fixed, right? So I've got it out there. I had the lid off, and rain fell in the hot tub. So the hot tub had water in it. And then began to grow little things in there, little bugs and stuff. And I looked at that and I thought, this is gross, right? This is gross. This is not a hot tub water. This is the same, the water is the same temperature as the outside. It's growing this stuff. It's ugly. It's, it's horrible. Why? Because the hot tub is broken. But whenever I fix that hot tub and I put a thermostat on that hot tub, guess what? That hot tub temperature can be regulated. But since the hot tub is broken, the water is going to become the same temperature as the outside. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that there's a difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermometer measures the temperature of the air. A thermostat determines the temperature of the air. And if you want to practice Thanksgiving, you have to be a thermostat on the inside instead of a thermometer. Here's what most people do. They wake up and they decide, how do I feel today? And however they feel determines the rest of the day. Because they're a thermometer, not a thermostat. But if you want to be what, what Paul talks about here, you have to all of a sudden create an ecosystem on the inside of you that becomes stronger than the air on the outside of you. You have to create a climate on the inside of you of thanksgiving that's stronger than the climate of the world. Because here's what happens for most people. The inside of them is like a smoker, not an oven. The inside of them, they stoke the fire. They get a new house. They stoke the fire. Man, I'm on fire now. You know, this is awesome. But what happens it cools off, and all of a sudden you find yourself back to the temperature of the world. All of a sudden you get a new car. Man, whew, man, I'm on fire. All of a sudden the temperature goes back to that of the world. All of a sudden you have this encounter with God. Oh, great, man. Oh, And then all of a sudden it goes back down to the temperature of the world. You have a great relationship moment. No, it goes great. And because you're a smoker, it goes back down. But how many of you guys know that's not what God intended for us? He didn't intend us to be a thermometer and just be checking temperatures. He intended the culture of our heart to be a thermostat where we go by the word of God and we start to speak out the word of God, those things that are lovely, those things that are honorable, those things that are good. And all of a sudden, our heart becomes a thermostat that when we walk into a situation, we set the temperature. We don't take it. That when we walk into a relationship, we can set it by the word of God instead of just measuring the temperature. Whenever we walk into a room, we set the temperature instead of determining. Whenever you walk into a crisis, you set the temperature instead of becoming a victim of the temperature. That's what Paul is contending for. He's saying, if you practice thanksgiving, the peace of God will come. But in order to practice thanksgiving, you better be a thermostat, not a thermometer. You better have an ecosystem and a climate on the inside of your heart that is one of thanksgiving that will keep burning no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the, happy, what the happening is. It's not determining your happiness. We have a lot of happenings that are not supposed to determine our happiness. It's the joy of the Lord that needs to be our strength. Amen? 
Am I speaking to anybody today? I'm just wondering, okay? All right, don't give your feelings thermostat rights. Don't give your feelings thermostat rights. You wake up and you determine how it's going to go based on the word of God. Water that's not regulated becomes stagnated. It's just true. All right, point number three, and then I'm wrapping up, all right? Point number three. Determine to let your thankfulness drown out your anxiousness. Whenever you find yourself being anxious, make a decision on the inside of your heart, that thermostat that goes off. I don't care. I know this anxiousness is pretty loud right now, but I am going to determine that thankfulness is going to drown out that anxiousness. And I'm going to keep pushing in. And I'm going to keep pressing in. And the more and more I, I find anxiousness, I'm going to find more and more that I could be thankful for. And I'm going to shut it all out. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about any of these other things, about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all these different things. God knows you have need of these things. But go after the things that I've already placed in your life. Listen, we have emotions on a, in, any given day. But God doesn't want us to be led by our emotions. Would you guys stand up? We're going to close out. I felt like the Lord wanted us to do one thing as we close out today. I felt like we were supposed to have a moment where we could practice thanksgiving. We could practice gratitude. And when I've asked the worship team to help lead us in a song, and here's what I want you to do. I just encourage you to do. Zero everything else out today and say, Lord, I don't care what, what's in my life, what's the anxiousness, what, whatever's going on. I am going to be thankful in you. And I believe as we do that, as we shut everything else out, we're going to find our appreciation for what God has already given us shoot up in value. And then we're going to start seeing God also appreciate in value again. Now, for some of you guys, it might be a sacrifice. Some of you might be here today, and you might, you might be you're like, man, I'm going through a lot. It's a sacrifice. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Therefore... By him, let us continue offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Sometimes when you come in to praise God, it's a sacrifice of praise because you don't feel like it. But you don't let your feelings have thermostat rights. You let your feelings, you, you say, I, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And you make a sacrifice of praise. I would rather sacrifice my thanksgiving to God than sacrifice my joy to Satan. Let me say that again. I'd rather sacrifice, make a sacrifice of thanksgiving when I don't feel like it than sacrifice my joy to Satan. And so that's what I want us to do today. Let's just, let's just enter into his courts with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And let's find, let's just practice this this morning before we leave here. Let's practice being thankful. Let's practice worshiping God. Amen? Let's do it.
Is anybody a little bit more thankful this morning already? I mean, you could just already. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right, ladies, on your way out, go ahead and grab. There's, you see all those cupcakes out there? That's just kind of, we just want to honor you guys. Grab some on your way out. Get your picture taken out there. Uh, I, I, just, I just want you to enjoy what God has given you today. Amen? Let's just, just soak in that for a while. And I believe we're going to be happier people. We're going to be filled with the joy of the Lord. And we're, that's just going to go everywhere, isn't it? Amen? All right, we'll see you next week. You're dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.